0: This episode of Boslevo Podcast is sponsored by Neste. About 10 years ago, the Finnish oil company Neste decided to invest in a more sustainable future. The company put nearly $2 billion in the development and production of renewable fuels. It was a bold move. Employees and investors were skeptical that it would be profitable. And in fact, Neste ended up making losses for some years... But now, almost half of their profits come from renewable fuels. Nesta has become the world's biggest producer of renewable diesel. In 2015, Nesta Oil dropped the word oil from its name to signify the change they are making. Learn more on how you can join their journey towards sustainability at the end of this episode. Welcome to the possibly last episode of this season. I might have one more special episode in store, but there's some uncertainty in the air around us, so I can't say for sure. But if this happens to be the last episode of the year, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Join me again for another season of Boss Levels starting in February. Until then, we listen to all the earlier episodes. It's only a week's effort if you listen roughly 8 hours a day, so it's not that bad. You're on holiday, go crazy. And don't forget to share each episode in each of your social medias. Also email people and review the podcast on iTunes. But now to this episode. My guest is Marco Kolomala. Marco is one of the most prominent scientists in the world in the field of atmospheric and earth system sciences. At University of Helsinki, he leads a research group that has more than 35 published papers in journals Nature and Science. Marco is the person you want to learn from on the topic of climate change research. We talk about how they do their research, what their initial results show, and how they're hoping the results help humankind fight climate change. Enjoy! From what i've understood the disaster at chernobyl in uh, in 1986 had a major impact on your career path so what was that impact
1: actually this is very true um, i started my uh, my studies in theoretical physics in, in the university of helsinki 77 uh, and uh, i get uh, i met my wife uh, around 1979 and uh, Then I decided to stop theoretical physics and start to study physics. And and in environmental physics, I need to get some some work to do. I need to get some (laughs) some salary, some money. Very simple reason. And uh, in in theoretical physics, uh, I wasn't the best student at all. But then I find actually my, my area. And I start to work in environmental physics and aerosol physics in that time. And I start to work with my my master thesis, which is actually risk analysis of different energy production ways. That I really analyze very comprehensive all the risks that are related to nuclear power or or solar power or wind power and uh, and also coal, etc. All these things. And I actually get them in some kind of order, how how they depend. And then I start to study What what happens to the public? What happens to public health? And I I try to make some very small uh, expressions how to uh, describe, for example, sulfur dioxide levels and NOx levels and the particle matter levels. And what is the effect of our health? And okay, this is very, very difficult topic. Actually, I was thinking that it's easy. And then I, uh, from this energy production and energy risks, I go towards atmospheric science. And I start to make my doctoral thesis in, in this kind of how we are making new particles in the atmosphere. But then we get, uh, well, let's say I get the good luck, but of course it was a very bad luck for those people living near Chernobyl. Chernobyl accident and we learn how to, how to uh, different material goes from the atmosphere to soil to plants. Uh, to different trees, to animals, etc., and we get a very good uh, mark like uh, a 137. And uh, after that, we get the idea. I say for purpose, we, sit, and not only me. I had very good friend, uh, professor in forest ecology, Pertti Pepehari, with whom we were establishing then these studies. And also my supervisor, Taista Raunenmaa, who was in, or in that time professor in environmental science in the University of Kuopio. And, uh, and Pepe Hari was, uh, was from the uh, Department of Forest Ecology uh, in Helsinki. And we uh, started to think that how we get all these things, uh, how we are able to understand what is going on. And uh, after the Chernobyl, we started to plan uh, really research Pro, uh, now we can call it research program. In that time, it's only ideas what we want to do, how to understand atmosphere, earth surface interactions.
0: Okay. So actually Chernobyl and what happened uh, after Chernobyl actually helped you make the connection between the atmosphere and the soil. Is that correct?
1: Right. And the atmosphere and the so- soil and the whole uh, uh, ecosystem, including uh, trees, scotch pine, uh, etc. All this, uh, what what kind of plants we have there? Not only soil, soil plants, the whole ecosystem. Also then fresh water, uh, and uh, and we start to know that how how deep in soil this signal goes after Chernobyl. Uh, which age of uh, needles are collecting most of them, etc. For example, personally, I collected. Uh, needle samples every 50 kilometers around the Finland
0: <laughs> you actually did that firstly. yes, yes. <laughs> wow and uh, so actually what you were able to do you were uh, you were able to create a, a systemic view on how the like particles in the atmosphere start influencing the whole ecosystem uh, starting from soil and towards earth. Yes. that's really really interesting and you actually like With the work that you were doing, then you started collecting pine needles to uh, use as data for the research.
1: Yes, yes. Wow. And that actually, I even rent a car. I didn't own a car in that time. I rent a car. Take my family with me, and they were not <laughs> too happy to stop every fifty kilometers. And I still remember those uh, sites where I have collected those samples.
0: Wow, <laughs> wow, that's that's a great story. Um, have you actually like have you visited Chernobyl after the? Uh... No,
1: no, no. I have seen movies and a lot of photographs, but I had never visited Chernobyl. After after that, I have said a visit. Uh, Belarusia and, uh, and, uh, yeah. and those near those areas. Uh, we have now a nice collaboration with Russia and Belarusia and uh, these former Soviet Union countries since we want to establish the station network also there. And uh, of course, this is the starting point, and it's of course part of uh, science diplomacy uh, to really think and not, uh, not focus too much about Chernobyl. Yeah. It was a b- bad accident for them but for uh, my science it was a very big step forward.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that that's something that Often repeats in science that something something bad happens, but actually, as a as a side effect, we get scientific breakthroughs. Yes, From, yes. from the results, yeah. I actually visited Chernobyl uh, mm-hmm. some probably like five or more years ago, and uh, we visited the uh, the. We were like two hundred meters away from the reactor okay. that exploded, and uh, what was especially interesting about that trip was that afterwards, like a year after our trip. There was a piece on the Finnish news that Chernobyl is now being opened for tourists. Uh-huh. And I was like, what the hell? I was there a year ago. <laughs> I don't know what kind of group organized our, our trip there, but it was interesting.
1: <laughs> yeah, interest, Interesting to know. I, I, I think that, of course, if somebody wants to uh, show the place to me, I will certainly accept But. Uh, I'm not actively searching the possibility to quote. Them. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, okay, uh, so let's talk a little more about what you actually do. So your current uh, current research and your current uh, current work. So, how does a scientist such as yourself study climate change? What do you actually do nowadays? Do you still collect pine needles? Not,
1: not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> After that, we established so-called smear stations, stations to measure ecosystem, atmosphere relations. And nowadays we call it stations to measure earth surface atmosphere relations or relationships. Which means that we try to measure uh, soil ecosystem, the surface could be uh, boreal forest, it could be rainforest, it could be tundra, it could be uh, any cryospheric surface, it could be rivers, lakes, uh, coastal area, urban area. And uh, what, what I plan, e- my plan is to establish these kind of stations all around the world. And right now we need about a thousand of them. And we have one very good example in Hyytiälä, in this place where we have established our flagship station. And in our station, we are measuring more than 1,200 different variables continuously. And if we think that about typical uh, meteorological weather station, in those, they are measuring 10 to 20 different uh, variables. And in, in air quality stations like here in Helsinki, they are measuring about 10 to 20 also. It means that we are measuring about 100 times more variables which means that we are able to get very, very exactly different processes, fluxes from, from atmosphere to, to, to the ecosystem and vice versa, and interactions and feedback loops. And a couple of those are unknown, and a couple of those, if we are able to enhance those loops, they will give us more time to, to adapt sensing climate. And also they might be able to get some CO2 out from the atmosphere by, by getting more healthy ecosystem which are, which are um, being the sink for, uh, for carbon dioxide. And this is one of the very good possibilities. And right now our knowledge is too limited. That's why we need more discontent stations. And uh, with this station network and, uh, and the results that I'm collecting all around the world together with my students and postdocs and collaborators, I try to find out that where this feedback loop is very, very effective. And this is one of my main topics. And the other topic is that one of the one of important things that happen in this kind of uh, interactions is the formation of secondary organic aerosol particles particles are tiny tiny particles uh, suspending in the air and uh, we typically have about thousand of them per cubic centimeter which is much a smaller number concentration than gas molecules what we have in there. But continuing that this is the other topic to find out that how they are uh, how they are born these new new particles and, uh, and the feedback loop what I have found, together with my collaborators, is that like the boreal forest, it acts as a carbon sink and this kind of aerosol source. They are connected, both of them have cooling effect in, in, uh, in sensing climate. In, in practice, I try to find out uh, cooling effects uh, when we look this sensing climate to find it, physics and chemistry and bio, biology behind cooling effects to say it in one one sentence what i'm doing
0: and and the idea is that uh, you're studying the feedback loops you're trying to find the uh, find the feedback loops and uh, as a result of like if you find those feedback loops then you will figure out where can i create the like greatest impact like greatest cooling effects right right and then with that, with the help of that understanding we can affect climate change right Wow, that's really this, interesting.
1: This, 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 this this is something what is very very big picture yep. and a very very uh, let's say big aim and I'm not this is very risky also I'm not saying that I'm able to do it <laughs> yeah, yeah
0: but this is course. my um,
1: this is focus of my work at, at, yes. uh, simultaneously I will get also the lot of data which does not exist yet
0: yes
1: and uh, of course there is a lot of data like people are measuring very well uh, CO2, methane, N2O, cetera, couple, couple of a uh, couple of greenhouse gases uh, and related things. But uh, the point what uh, I and my co- collaborators, what we would like to do and what we are doing, is to add several new variables, several new compounds, several new processes and feedbacks, interactions, to the system that we start to understand all this earth system much better. And uh, in my point of view, this is the need. We really, really need this kind of knowledge. And the sooner we start to get it, the better. Then we have more time as a humankind, more time to react, more time to understand. And that's why uh, during the last years, I have been collecting different group of people to work with, with me or with us uh, around the world to really, really get this knowledge.
0: Yes. And the idea is that if you had more of the smeared stations all around the globe mm. and you were able to measure even more variables, then you have more data to analyze. Yes. And by looking at the data, you can find correlations yes. and you can find the feedback loops. Yes. Groups. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yes. And not only correlations. Correla- <laughs> correlations are always easy, but
0: uh, we, we, we,
1: need, we need to also understand the basic process which is behind the correlation. Sure. And that uh, after that, we are able to predict what happens in the future, to also put this kind of knowledge in, in
0: uh, global models. And I, and I think so, one result, uh, like if you are successful, what that means is that what we will be able to do is we can assess. The methods on how we prevent or how we fight climate change we can choose yeah. the, the the like the methods that have the most impact is that right, correct
1: right this is correct and this is also related to biochemical cycles like water cycle carbon cycle sulfur cycle nitrogen cycle yep. and then we also will understand more those with that way which then will also affect agriculture and uh, and uh how we are able to get uh good food uh for future also and which way which kind of what kind of agriculture we can have in in the future when when our population are moving to cities, which is the big trend that we get more and more people living in cities around the globe
0: yeah and you currently you only have like uh was it was it like 10 smear stations or no, less No, no less. less, than less.
1: That? We, can, we have one, uh, let's say, full in, in, in Finland. Okay. In Finland we have three others uh, uh, which, can, which are smear stations but not in that level than the, than the one, what mm-hmm. we call smear two station. Then in Estonia, in China too, we have one in South Africa which is coming in Cyprus, we are now starting, starting one and we have a couple of negotiations going on in Russia. Seems to be pretty slow in practice, but we anyhow have, have a step forward uh,
0: towards this uh, global SMEAR network. Okay. Yeah. And uh, if you were able to create that network, then you would be able to gather data from all those different right. sources and then use that for your analysis. Yes. That's really, really great. Um, if we think about this like from a pragmatic viewpoint and, and you now have some experience in trying to grow that network and add more stations and you say that you'll need a thousand stations to get enough data, mm-hmm. how how realistic is your plan from, from that perspective?
1: Yeah, one can of course say that it's not at all realistic. <laughs> but on, on the other hand, I'm a so optimistic person uh, that I think that I need to make the steps uh, the most, uh, the mo- most difficult is to get the network in the way that I get several other people to be enthusiastic enough. Sure. Uh, and then uh, setting up a station means that we need to have local people, local uh, research institutes or universities. We need to uh, need to make the education that people are able to. Uh, Use the instruments and use the data and benefit from from the data and actually it means that we need to if we have a thousand of stations every station has a need to have about six to ten uh, technicians it's six thousand technicians or ten thousand we need to be educated yes. and then now <laughs> every station needs about ten scientists to work, work with the data plus it is big big effort but once one point it's not impossible effort it's big effort but not impossible we need collaboration and the wmo who is responsible for the global weather prediction and weather measurements and all those things is in principle interested in to collaborate with us and of course we need big this organization this world meteorological organization point of way, is this wmo we need we need need um, this kind of big international organization, University of Helsinki cannot uh, make 100 years plan to make everything. But, uh, but uh, as, seen, uh, as you see, I have already made this kind of steps to also get uh, somebody who will then work with it. And uh, this is big challenge, and, but it's not impossible. As uh, humankind in science, we have make all this uh, uh, big efforts in high-energy physics like uh, ha, uh, this Hadron collisions, uh, Higgs-Boson, uh, CERN activities, it's also a big sure. effort. It has taken now some 60 years already, 50, 60 years, it's already, but they have gotten a very nice progress in understanding the basic physics, really, really very, very basic physics. Uh, how the universe uh, has born uh, in astronomy and in high-energy physics. Now in earth system science and this kind of atmospheric science, we need to understand how this earth, planet earth, is really working. And also are we able to affect the death of this planet or death of humankind? That uh, that if you think about these environmental problems, they could be very, very serious. I'm not saying that they are, I'm saying that they could be. And the point is that uh, we need to understand all steps and that's why we need that network. And now the question is about the price. Investments are about the same than the investment in this uh, uh, high-energy physics recently. This Higgs boson, which is very important in uh, in high-energy physics. And if we take politics, the investment is about the same than uh, trump 's uh, wall against mexico it 's not big amount okay it's big amount if you think about Finnish budget in Finland or sure. special science budget in finland it's very very big
0: but on a global but, but a global scale it's yeah. not
1: not big also to educate ten thousand people it 's not a big in global scale we all we need to start somewhere we need to get this growing we have started we know that this is working. We have one station which has been working twenty years. We know that it works. We know we have already established uh, some new initiatives, some new stations in Nansing, pacing Estonia, and Estonia. We, we, it means that we are able to do it. Only question, the main question is that how we are now expanding and how we get uh, new people in and how long it takes. My own estimation is that uh, to be in safe side, we need to do this within the five years, which is very hard and very challenging. And it's still okay if we do it in 10, 12 years. But if it takes
0: uh, 50 years, then it's anymore not may be needed. It's too late. Yeah. You're talking about five years is that we need to start collecting the data so we can actually find actions that will still have an impact yes, yes, before yes. it's the, too late.
1: Yes, the, let's say that the, the sooner we get stations, the bigger impact we have. And of course, it's enough that in every continent we have a couple of stations in this kind of comprehensive way, which means that we can upgrade uh, some existing stations, especially Europe is easy. In Europe, we have enough stations. We simply co- connect them and upgrade some of them. Uh, not not smear stations, but other stations. And but the problem is Africa, South America, uh, this kind of Russia or this uh, let's say Arctic and polar area in Russia, mega cities, typically where we have very very limited knowledge. Then uh, it would be good to have a couple of islands in in big oceans to be equipped with 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 this, with this kind of stations. Sure.
0: Um, let's talk a little about the initial results that you've been getting. Okay, uh, I, I understand that the, the network that you're using at the moment is very small, but looking at this, the, the data that you already have and the things that you've already found, uh, do you have any insights on how how we could better fight climate change based on, based on the smear station data?
1: A uh, very, very simple uh, answer to that is that we need to get ecosystems to be held. It means that for example, if you think uh, forest that they are uh, they are health, healthy enough that they are collecting carbon, carbon effectively and also making this uh, as a side product of photosynthesis, we get uh, monoterpenes, sesquiterpenes, isoprene out of. After that, and if you uh, walk in the forest, you will smell it. It is This smell, what you see, this is this monotherapy. And this is a so-called biogenic volatile organic compound, which in atmosphere will transform to very uh, low volatile compounds, which will then make aerosol particles and grow them. And those aerosol particles will reflect... Uh, solar radiation back to the space and cool the climate in that way and make cloud condensation nuclei and cloud droplets and clouds. And it's important also in water cycling. Uh, but, uh, but this together with healthy ecosystem makes both carbon sink and this aerosol source. And they are connected and this is very clear result that uh, if this is effective, uh, then it's good. And also now what we are thinking is that how do we get agriculture to be better carbon sink? And the knowledge on that is very, very limited and poor. And that's why we would like to establish uh, a station in some agricultural sites, fields in southern Finland, but also in Hungary. Hungary is good, good place in in agriculture and we have some negotiations but let's see if we are able to manage it within the next 2 years
0: um the research that you do requires a lot of cooperation around the globe so um and you've been running this already for a while and you've been mm-hmm. growing the network so what are the most important lessons that you've learned about coordinating international top level research projects uh
1: This is an extremely good question. I have been thinking this and and, uh, doing, uh, okay, learning by doing. This is uh, certainly one of my ways. And then we should get uh, win-win situations typically. If it's only I who win, I do not have anybody who will collaborate with me. Everybody should win, at least somehow. And, uh, and secondly, it means that uh, we need to find out joint interest that the people are really uh, then uh, willing to keep, uh, keep on this collaboration. And there are also a couple of ways of doing it in wrong way. Uh, one part is which, which is in well, human, human being sometimes difficult. But uh, if you promise something, keep it, of course in Finland it's more or less the natural that we try to do so. But, but still in my case, if I promise something, I need to keep it. I need to uh, remind myself that I do not promise too much. For me, it's because I'm optimistic, it's uh, easy to promise too much. Uh, but I try to keep, uh, keep some kind of uh, that, that part. And then secondly, it's better not to make too bureaucratic system. Since as a scientist, I have a lot of interest, a lot of work to do also in science. If I I establish some organization who in principle helps me, it's a big risk that the organization start to do its own business and they will not anymore listen to what I'm saying and they do what they want and and, uh, it could be even contradictory what I want to be done. And uh, let's say scientists want to be done and this is. This is actually interesting problem. Since, uh, I'm not saying that it's bad will. It's, it's simply that they get the own agenda, their own vision, uh, which is different than, than this big vision, what we typically have when we establish these things. And this makes it problematic.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's that's an old joke where you talk about like bureau, bureaucracies that actually create enough work for them to run yes. by themselves that they create work for themselves. Yeah. They
1: not only about themselves; they also create work to all scientists. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I mean that. Although, in principle, every discount system has scientific steering committee who, in principle, steers it. But since they are not full-time in that shop, they, yeah. they, they don't see all they, the details. They, they, yeah. yeah, and that's why, that's why we need to keep the balance. We, of course, need some secretariat to, 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 to look those things what need to be done. Sure. That not everybody is doing them by himself and learn once again, which has been learned already hundred or thousand times, but, uh, but still this is, this is the point. And then also that we need to uh, somehow, it means that we need to be respective to those people who are our local uh, hosts and uh, understand somehow the cultural background from different countries. And nowadays I have done a lot of work in China and in Russia and uh, and uh, also in a couple of other countries like South Africa, and, uh, and uh, what we need, we need to have somebody who really knows this culture. And for example, in uh, in my group, we have plenty, we have we have twenty Chinese students, postdocs, young professors, more than ten Russian people, and of course we are this, uh, interacting with them, and they are interacting in their home countries. And uh, and in that way we also get network inside those countries. And uh, it's it's I think that the key if I go there alone with new country it is typically disaster. Okay, it's not disaster, I say too <laughs> strongly, but but <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, but it the... could, could be disaster, and uh, that's <laughs> why I, I hope to educate uh, people from different countries who can uh, then be like ambassador in our idea sure. in that country. And this was the good point that we have had students uh, for quite many countries for every continent. Mm. And we get at least a uh, good insight what is the typical way of that continent
0: to work. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um the audience for this podcast is actually fairly international. So uh, if there's someone who's like, okay, I want to help with this. I want to help yeah. set up a smear station. Uh, what would be a way for them to start, help, start helping you?
1: Yeah, the first uh, step is to contact me. Sure. And simply send me an email, markupointkulmala at uh, helsing.fi. And uh, this is the easiest way and I'm certainly answering and we ask, can start the negotiation. The actual point is that uh, to establish a station. It means that what is needed, we need some funding or investments, and we need local uh, scientists and technicians to work there. Sure. And and the investment itself, one can start with a couple of hundred thousand euros, but one station will cost, uh, when it's full station, around six to eight million euros. But one can get it from block to block by block, to get useful data, and uh, one, and I can even say that it's not uh, the best way to start with eight millions today. It's better to make in one, one to two million investment first, and then see that it's working, and then uh, build it, up, upgrade it uh, after that. And this is uh, this is cer- certainly a very good uh, possibility for several, several ways if somebody really gets interested in.
0: Thanks for listening. To wrap up, here are some of Marco's tips on things that you can do to help the climate. 1. Consume less altogether. 2. Use less animal products. 3. Don't waste food. And 4. Plant a tree. Have a great holiday, everyone. This episode of Boss Podcast is sponsored by Nesta. The renewable diesel that Nesta produces is made mostly from waste and residue. This diesel can reduce greenhouse gas emissions up to 90% compared to fossil diesel. Nesta's renewable diesel is used by Google and UPS, amongst others. So how can you join Nesta on their path to sustainability and renewable products? Well, when you need to travel, you can help by shaping the demand and making responsible choices. When there's more demand for renewable alternatives, there will be more supply. Choose to travel with airlines who use, promote, and develop sustainable jet fuels. Let's work on this from both sides. Go to nested.com to learn more.